And welcome into Brewcast, and it's finally, finally here. Can't wait to get into it. Luke Yardy here with you, joined as always by Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani here with you on Monday night as we head into Tuesday, and it is finally game week. And, well, we've got a lot to preview for the season, an all-Big Ten season, and we are going to uh, get into some superlatives here today. Uh, also, we are broadcasting live on Twitch. Thank you to those watching here on Twitch. And obviously, thank you to those who aren't on Twitch. We, we do it every week. Uh, if you're listening just to the podcast, um, we will be on Twitch uh, pretty much, I think, moving forward here, um, you know, th- throughout every time we record an episode. So uh, just a reminder of that. But let's get into it. Anthony, Chris, it's game week, man. How are we feeling, boys? Uh, feeling great about game week. Feeling great to be here. I mean, I've been busy pretty much working all day. Uh, Jim Harbaugh had a Monday press conference. We talked to three players today. The radio show is going on right now uh, as we speak. So uh, content is a plenty right now. Uh, it's It's been a, you know, we've been pretty, <laughs> we've talked a lot about how long of a process this has been. And even now, I mean, it's still nothing is guaranteed five days out from game day, but uh, we're here. It's a game week. We're doing a game week podcast, which a month ago, I didn't know if that would happen or not. So it's good to be here and, and good to talk to you guys and see both of you guys. We, I mean, Chris has video usually, but this is a first with uh, being able to see Luke on Twitter. Finally got so. her figured out, man. So we're good. Everything's great. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess this is kind of a par for the course statement considering the circumstances surrounding 2020, but I've never had a feeling quite like this, and I don't know if we ever will. Um, because, yes, it's game week. Game week in mid-October is nothing new, but opening game week in October is uh, unlike anything we've we've seen before. And it's, it's part of that whole accepting the new normal kind of thing, because this is, it's a strange circumstance surrounding all this. We're going to be seeing some stuff that we've never seen before. Empty crowds, um, you know, how these guys are going to perform. We'll talk about, but it's a, it's a whole brave new world, but at the same time, it's still unrecon or it's still recognizably uh, Michigan football game week. And that is a, uh, always cause for celebration, no matter what the final result ends up being. It's man. It has been a long time coming. I feel like, like, I don't know about you guys, but it still kind of feels surreal, you it's know? Weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like, I'm, I'm obviously very excited, but I also usually, I, I don't know. It, it seems like in years past, it's been much shorter, but yet, longer this i kind of i think i got in a mental state where i just like i accepted that we weren't gonna have a season same you know and then it it turns out it's here you know which is crazy to think about but i still i i'm I'm still a little bit reserved at the same time uh you know it's almost like until i see kickoff happen i'm still not gonna be fully convinced that it's actually here you know no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I share a lot of those sentiments and I, I didn't want to be the first guy to kind of come out and say that it does feel a little bit weird, but I'm, I am with you. I don't know when the moment's going to be when it hits that this is like, we got the ball rolling here because especially as someone who's a diehard baseball fan, that moment, like I've gotten little glimpses of it, but the whole, all right, we're in this, we're rolling. This is the season. This is the normal 
it never really hit. And it, it, this whole season was kind of, you know, just a mumbled or mushed together hodgepodge of the season. Now, um, eight games, you know, compared to the 60 that baseball is playing is a major difference, but, um, no, it hasn't quite sunken in yet. I don't know when it'll be. Maybe it'll, maybe it will be kickoff. And even the, you know, what was it? Four or five weeks of college football we've already had has just kind of felt like preliminary exhibition rounds. Like maybe it's just <laughs> the fact that it hasn't been the big 10. It hasn't really felt completely authentic and real. I think that might hit this weekend now that everyone is officially back. Yeah, I would agree with that. And for as weird, like I said, it's, it's a truncated season. There's three, there's three games left less than they'd usually get. Um, but when till meets leather, a big 10 title is still going to be on the line. A potential trip to the college football playoff is still on the line. And, you know, Michigan opens the season, um, you know, like they did a couple of years ago at Notre Dame, where you're going into an environment against a pretty good team, a team that some people might think has an outside shot at making the playoff um, in a game that I know Vegas kind of has Michigan favored to win now, but a lot of people really aren't expecting them to win. So they're kind of, they're going into the lion's den, so to speak. I mean, not in terms of there won't be fans there, but it's a, it's a night game. It's a primetime game. College game day is going to be there. It's you know a pretty big game in terms of the packing order of the big 10, you know, right off mm-hmm. the bat. Um, it's, it's about the biggest stage that you could come out and play on right off the bat. So like I said, I think, um, like I said, when toe meets leather and, and the lights are on and, and that broadcast starts on Saturday, it's going to feel, I think it will finally feel real. So Joe yeah, and, takes that first snap. <laughs> I, and I know we, you know, we obviously don't talk a lot of gambling on this show. We do some other things here and there uh, on the site with that, but I've been really surprised uh, a little bit at the line movement. You know, we, we saw the, the books open, uh, the foreign books open as Michigan two and a half point dogs. We we saw the U.S. Uh, books open as Michigan as a short dog, but I think or a short favorite. But I think I see Michigan as like a three and a half point favorite now. The line movement has been absolutely crazy on this game yeah. in favor of Michigan, and I wonder how much of that has to do with like the news today of like. Um, uh, PJ Fleck coming out talking a little bit about COVID concerns, and he's not going to have all sixty five or whatever that is. I wonder how much that plays a part. It might. I think part of it too is that, and we talked about this as soon as the lines opened up, is that uh, Michigan Michigan is a very popular betting team. Like mm. a lot of people throw money on Michigan. So that will move a Vegas line one way or another. Um, I know there are message board rumblings from behind enemy lines that there might be a few starters out for Minnesota this weekend. Um, I Again, PJ Fleck, I don't know if it's gamesmanship. I don't know if he's playing coy. I don't know what it is. Uh, seems like there might be something going on there. So we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, regardless, uh, Michigan's going into a type of game that doesn't, hasn't really won that often. So um, I think I'm starting to feel, you know, the last couple of weeks when, when it was announced that the Big Ten was coming back, I felt the excitement. I felt the, um, you know, the hype the hype machine, Joe Milton, the defense, all these different things. But what I'm starting to feel now that's making me feel like a normal game week is that nervous energy that I'm not really sure what's going to happen. And I'm feeling that too, which is what's, you know, making this for me. um, I don't think it's, it's going to be jarring that it says October 24th, 
it's not going to be all that jarring to me when, when the game starts because it's go time. All righty. Well, let's get into what we've got here today. Uh, first things first, uh, what's up, Michigan King One? Uh, hopping in on the chat here on Twitch. We are uh, recording this podcast while broadcasting live on Twitch. So uh, thanks to everyone in here that's watching this right now. But uh, we want to get into it. We're doing some superlatives here today. Uh, we're going to do MVP. We're going to do Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Most Improved. We're going to do a, a record prediction. It's game week. We're going big in the first episode of game week leading, leading into Minnesota. So, Anthony, I'm going to start with you. We're going to start right off the get-go, MVP for Michigan Football 2020 this year. Who put me on the spot right away. Um, MVP. I don't think this is a hot take. I'm just, I think a lot of these were going to burn down fairly quickly. Uh, MVP, uh, they will go as this player goes. It's to me, it's got to be Joe Milton. Um, I, I think that – I think this – I'm not I'm not ready to call him this year's Joe Burrow, but I think I think this guy can play. And I think that at worst, at worst, you'll probably get about what you got last year in terms of, like, the bad Shea type of stuff, which isn't great. Obviously, that led to a couple losses. But um, I think you can still go out and win five or six games this year if Joe Milton isn't a star. Now, if he's, a, if he's good, you're talking seven games. If he's really freaking good, you're talking, you know, maybe that last weekend of the year, we're, we're having a little bit of fun. We're feeling ourselves a little bit. So uh, to me, most valuable player, uh, if this team is going to do anything it is Joe Milton. I'm actually, uh, and that's like, that's a fair prediction. I think it would be very beneficial for this football team. And, and if Joe Milton ended up being the MVP of this team, I'm going to go defense. I want to say, I don't I remember who the team MVP was last year, but in recent history, even dating back to the rich rod years, it seems like a defender has won team MVP several times. I think chase Winovich might've won it. Maybe it was Devin Bush in 2018, but I think that happens again. I think Quiddy Pegg wins team MVP. He was really wonderful last year. Um, you know, had some big moments, maybe overshadowed a little bit near the end by Josh Chuche. Uh, he will not be overshadowed this year. Uh, I think uh, he's going to be the stud, you know, returning on that defense. Uh, I see him uh, kind of really carrying the defense at points. I think he's going to be the most valuable player on this football team. I'm going in a different direction, and I know it's um... – I don't know. Counterintuitive. I don't know if that's Quinn or quite the right word. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, I actually think uh, team MVP this year is going to be Ronnie bell uh, with the absence okay. of Nico Collins. Um, I think he's going to play a huge role in allowing uh, Milton to be comfortable, to be quite honest with you. I, I think he's going to play a major part in a leadership role amongst this offense. I think he's going to bail Joe Milton out a few times early on this year. Uh, before Milton really finds his feet. And I think he's going to have a huge year. He's going to have to have a huge year uh, if this offense wants to be uh, where they think it should be, you know? So I think Ronnie Bell's going to have a huge year, but I think he's going to play a very important role in that leadership capacity and kind of as that safety valve uh, for a young quarterback in Joe Milton. So uh, three different MVPs, man. You know, I, I like that right off the get-go. I think there is a lot of talent on this team uh, moving forward. So uh, offensive player of the year, uh, I want to know for you guys, for me and Anthony, uh, you know, who's offensive player of the year. That's not your MVP. And then obviously Chris, uh, your, your offensive MVP. And I'll, I'll start with you, Chris. Uh, well, you know, kind of predictable, but even, even last season, you know, as controversial as, as the quarterback play was at points, 
Shea was still probably this team's best offensive player, especially with how he performed down the stretch. I think it'll be a similar case this season. There's going to be a lot of talent at the skill positions, but I think especially by the end of the year, Joe Milton will have established himself as the premier player on this offense. I think he's going to be this team's best offensive player. Yeah, for me, it's, uh, you know, I look at a guy and maybe it's, it's being, um, I, I have a feeling me and Luke's might be the same person, but offensive player of the year to me, I think it's Zach Charbonnet. I think yeah. what you saw down the stretch last year, um, really, we've talked about this before in the bowl game, he he looked, he looked more, not that he was ever out of shape, but he looked more um, maybe chiseled is the word. I don't know, but he was running harder. He was running faster. It seemed like the knee wasn't as much of a problem as it may have been early on in the year. I, I think that, when you look at, he does everything. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can he can put his shoulder down and run. I think he's got a little bit of, you know, they're looking to hit on some more explosive plays in the run game this year. I do think that he has a gear to be unlocked there. Um, but even just the little things, pass protection, some of the nitty gritty stuff. I think that this guy, we, we talk about Joe Milton and we talk about all these wide receivers they have. Um, I think if this team is going to be really good, they're going to have to run the ball. And I think they will be able to run the ball. And they've got a... You know, we could talk offensive line and stuff later, but we look you look at the the size of the guys that they're saying are going to start. Um, this is as big and as physical up front as I feel like Michigan's been in a while, too. And I think that that's nothing but good news for Zach Charbonnet. Yeah, you absolutely read my mind. I'm going Zach Charbonnet as well uh, for my offensive player of the year because uh, of what you mentioned. His versatility is outstanding. Uh, his vision is something, too, that kind of blows me away, blew me away as a true freshman a year ago. And, you know, uh, I read, I don't do the, I don't do the groundwork like a lot of uh, the guys that make our site great, you know, on the recruiting trail and things like that. But what I heard about Zach Charbonnet coming in, the hype was outstanding. Like this is, you know, the next Mike Hart at Michigan. And I saw him being compared to a lot of great backs around the country and his freshman year did not disappoint even battling through an injury. So uh, year number two, healthy, the absolute monsters up front. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a huge year for Zach Charbonnet. I think it's going to need to be a huge year uh, for Zach Charbonnet. I think he is going to be my offensive player of the year. And uh, when you look at this team, you know, obviously lost a lot of talent from a year ago and lost some guys that, uh, you know, would have been playing this year, but are not playing this year. So that brings me to who's going to improve the most. Who's going to be the guy that was kind of there last year, might not have even been there last year. Who's going to have a huge impact on Michigan this year, Anthony. Uh, are we doing that or defensive player of the year? Oh, my bad. I completely skipped over defensive player of the year. Wow. <laughs> that's all right. I, I'll, that, my bad. Yeah. That's okay. No, I'll, I'll pivot to that. We'll, we'll do the, we'll do that next, but uh, defensive player of the year. This was the guy I was kind of flirting with being the, my MVP pick uh, because, you know, we talk about, I think really on both sides of the ball, you know, positional versatility, being able to do a different, a, a number of things is so important. Um, not only in Don Brown's defense, but just kind of where the game is going. Uh, I think it's Dax Hill. And the reason I say that is because this is a guy who he's going to, he's going to play deep safety. He's going to probably play some nickel, um, you know, some, some of those like big nickel packages. Um, he's going to have an impact on, on special teams. He might even play a little bit of boundary corner. Uh, we don't know. They're going to move him around a bit. 
And with all that in mind, and I think I've talked to this, or I've, I've spoken about this with, uh, with Jared on the other podcast is I kind of see him being Michigan's Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James type of guy, or someone on the back end that you could move around a bit. And, and the cornerbacks, they might come up a little bit later in something I talk about here. Um, but I just think with the inexperience in that secondary, having a guy that's that good, that fast, that versatile, um, you know, I think that Don Brown, regardless of how you feel about the guy, I thought they, they did a pretty good job finding a role for Jabril Peppers. Yeah. They did a great job finding a role for Josh Uche. And, and I think they'll continue to find a role for a guy like uh, Daxton Hill. I think that they really do, for the most part, do a good job of maximizing what they can get out of those Swiss Army type of guys on defense. And I think he could be as good, if not better, than any of those guys. Yeah, I, uh, you know, obviously I picked um, Quiddy Pay to be team MVP. So I, I'm going to stick with that for. Uh, defense player of the year as well. I will say just adding on to the point you made um, because I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. And I was, I was going to talk about him a little bit more. And I'll just say, I think the success of this secondary hinges on the development of Dax Hill. And, and I think that if he can turn out to be the kind of shutdown defender or, or the kind of versatile defender, like a Jabril Peppers was, um, I think the secondary could surprise some people and i know it's a lot to put on a you know a true sophomore but you know this was one of the biggest recruits uh of the harbaugh era so i i see where you're coming from i think in sparingly you know in limited action last year he looked pretty darn solid he made some some uh, you know impactful plays i made two big plays in the iowa game that really uh, helped them win that very low scoring affair so i I see the point you're making but obviously i'm gonna for defense player of the year i'm sticking with quitty pay yeah, Anthony, uh, you read my mind on that one again. We uh, we don't we don't uh, share our picks with each other prior to this. You know, there's no production meetings or anything like that. Uh, but I definitely got Dax Hill as well. I mean, the loss of Ambry Thomas is huge. Uh, we've heard that Dax is playing a little corner, but we know he can play safety. And what did we say two years ago when Michigan went on the road as favorites and got blown out by Ohio State? There's a lot of one-on-one coverages and we went on the show and we said five stars are going to five star, man. Dax Hill needs to five star this year. And I, I think he's going to have a huge year because he need he's, he's being forced. He's not being asked. He's being forced to step into a huge role on Dodd Brown's defense here this year. And I absolutely think he's up for it. You know, um, I think, I think he got a little taste uh, last year, especially when, up, when he went up one-on-one with Jerry Judy uh, yeah. in the bowl game on the first play of the game. But uh, I think he's I, – I guarantee he's worked hard this offseason. I think he's going to have a huge, huge year in this Michigan defense. That's why I'm going with Dax Hill for my yeah, defense. And, and one more thing on him before we pivot. Like, uh, And this is no disrespect to Chris Partridge because I think that guy, he's going to be a defensive coordinator eventually. Um, he coached Michigan safeties last year. But now – Dax Hill has a guy at safety that in Bob Shoup who has spent most of the last, you know, decade or so as a defensive coordinator. And something that that kind of echoes for me is when a couple of years ago, Michigan was able to bring in Jim McElwain to coach their wide receivers. Yeah. They, he's way overqualified for that position. So um, I'm actually expecting some pretty big things from, from both Dax and, and Brad Hawkins this year. All right, so since I jumped the gun a little earlier, I won't give it the big old <laughs> spiel or the big intro. What do you guys got for uh, most improved player this year? 
Yeah, I'll take that one starting out. Uh, most improved and or to likely to break out however you want to. Yeah, most likely to break out. I mean, I guess it depends on, on breakout. Uh, but since we've spent a lot of time on the defensive line talking about Quiddy uh, Pay so far, namely Chris, I'm going to go to the other side and say Aiden Hutchinson. And, mm-hmm. and maybe not like we know he's good and we know that he's a guy that could be, um, you know, out of the box this year. If he didn't play, let's say he opted out, he probably could be a fringe first round guy. But what they what people have said about this guy and what people in the building have been saying about him is that he's he's got some Bosa to him. And I think that that's a guy where, you know, all the attention, um, you know, we talk about some of those start, you know, Cam McGrone at linebacker. We talk about Quiddy Pay. We talk about Carlo Kemp. We talk about Dax Hill on the back end. Um, not that we don't talk about Aiden Hutchinson, but I just think that that guy is – he had way to me on film. I think he had way more pressures and, and way more, he was way more disruptive than the sack numbers. Uh, tell. I think he only had maybe three and a half or four and a half sacks uh, last year. I think he'll double that and he might even get into the double digits. Yeah. That's a really good. Chris? Uh, I'm sticking with, I'm sticking with skill position players because I think that with Nico Collins out and Harbaugh, I can essentially all but put, you know, a squash whatever rumor might be flying around of him opting back in. He's not participating in football activities. I would be stunned if he opts in with three days left until the season starts. So uh, that means Michigan, uh, as of right now, is lacking an experienced deep threat. And really, since Harbaugh got there, you know, the wide receiver position has not been that much of an issue. Now, who's been able to get you know the get balls to? those skill position guys has been an issue at points, but like last season, if you're looking for reasons why Michigan underachieved that core with DPJ, Nico Collins and Ronnie Bell was not one of the reasons why, but I think with Nico Collins out, they're kind of lacking a deep threat. There's some talented receivers, Sanders still Ronnie Bell, but they're all kind of small guys. I'm going to look at one of the taller receivers on this roster, and I'm going to go with Cornelius Johnson as a potential um, breakout guy, six, three, only in his sophomore season, saw limited action a year ago, but, you know, had a few moments, had two catches in the opening game against Middle Tennessee State, had a 39-yard touchdown uh, against Michigan State towards the end of the year. Um, pretty highly recruited guy. I'm going to I'm gonna go with him as potentially taking over for Nico Collins as, as the deep threat that this team may need to go up and get a jump ball late in the game when Michigan needs a big play. I like it. Uh, I'm going to go – Staying at the receiver position, I'm going to go with the guy you just mentioned, Chris. I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Mike Sanders still. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. yeah, he's. I, I think he's got just got such huge, huge potential. He's so fast. Uh, I kind of, I kind of think that um, Josh Gaddis likes these guys, these smaller guys. You know, the speed and space came in with, and he epitomizes it. Does Sanders still? Uh, he, he only had eight receptions last year but he went for 18.1 yards a, a catch, which is it's crazy, you know, and I think he's got so much big playability in him. Like Chris said, Nico Collins is out, man. Someone's got to produce at this receiver position. Uh, Ronnie Bell, he's going to produce. He has produced ever since he's been here. It's going to be Sandra still, Giles Jackson, you know, all those guys, but Sandra still with the big playability definitely got him. And then on the flip side of that, I know we don't like to talk about it uh, too much, but every year there's someone that comes in with expectations and ultimately uh, disappoints 
a, a little bit. Chris, I'll start with you. Who's your most likely to disappoint here in 2020? This one was easy to me, and it's going to sound strange, but it's one of those disappointments I would actually be okay with. I'll start with kind of the positive here. I think Zach Charbonnet really breaks out this year. You know, I didn't go with him as the most likely to break out with a bit more of an unpredictable choice with Cornelius Johnson, but I, I like Zach Charbonnet. I think he showed me a lot as a freshman last year. Yes, did not, you know, probably didn't have the yards per carry that you would have liked to have seen, but uh, got a lot of touches. They were relied on him a lot early in the year, too much early in the season. And, and he showed a lot of grit. I like his vision, like you talked about, Luke. Uh, I think Hassan Haskins is going to be a guy who might end up getting lost in the shuffle a little bit. Has great speed, but you look at the great Michigan running backs of all time, you know, with a few notable exceptions, but for the most part, a lot of them have been bruisers. They haven't necessarily been guys who are going to run 4-140s, but they're going to be guys who, you know, will put their head down at the line, will break tackles, your Mike Hart's or Anthony Thomas's. Uh, Leroy Hordes uh, of the world, Tyrone Wheatley. I think you have that kind of bowling ball running back in Zach Charbonnet. And last year, I know there was the famous image on the Wildcat play in fourth and one against Ohio State, but there were several instances in which I saw Hassan Haskins have open open holes that he could have gone for 10, 15 yards and didn't see it and kind of ended up running into running into the line, running into his own teammates. I think that um, there might be some carryover there. And I think with the hopeful emergence of Zach Charbonnet, I think he might take a back seat to him. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, a, he's, I'm not saying he's not going to see the field, but also with Chris Evans returning as well, he may get lost in the fold a little bit. So I'm going to, I'm going to say he might take a, a step back here in 2020. What about you, uh, Anthony? Yeah. To piggyback off that real quick. I think something that's also play, I, I think that's a good call uh, especially because you look at a true freshman and Blake Corum, who you talk to any of our, you know, recruiting guys here at the site, they'll tell you if he was a, you know, an inch or two taller, that might be a guy who was a five-star running back and, and he's going to play this year. And when you talk about a backfield that has, you got Charbonnet, you have Haskins, you have um, you know, Evans and Corum someone's carries aren't going to be what they were last year. Yeah. And I think that when you look at, uh, when you look at who is, who's there and what we expect out of a guy like Charbonnet, that would make sense to me. Uh, I'm not going to go with a specific guy, so to speak, because there is so much new on this team. Uh, but I think a position group that I, I, I mean, it, to me, it's the cornerbacks uh, because you don't have Lavert Hill. You don't have Ambry Thomas, which I think is is massive. Um, shake your fist to the sky at COVID because of that, among other things. But um, you know that leaves you with a guy in Vincent Gray, who I think can be can be good. Um, and you have guys in that room who I think can't can be good. But we're talking about you know Vincent Gray, I believe, was a former three star recruit. We've got uh, you know Jamon Green was a former, I, I believe, a former three uh, fringe four star guy. And recruiting rankings don't mean everything. Obviously, we know that Devin Bush was a three-star recruit, just as one example. But um, you talk about those guys, and then Sammy Faustin is just moving over from safety, and I think that's a bit of a concern to me because it, to me, that kind of points out that maybe DJ Turner and Jalen Perry, two young guys who you're kind of hoping might be ready to play, maybe aren't quite there yet. Um, so I think cornerbacks in general, I think, uh, and and. Uh, you know, Mike Zordich has done a pretty good job with that group. 
I just think there's a lot of new there and it's, it's, that's a big time concern for me. So um, if there's an Achilles heel on this defense, I think it is that. Yeah. I'm going to go with a guy that in, it's not due to ability in any sense. I think actually the guy most likely to disappoint this year is Quiddy pay because he is going to be a guy that offenses have to game plan around. They're going to double him. They're going to run away from him. They're going to know where Quiddy pay is on the field. Every single snap. They're not going to want him to disrupt the offense. And with that extra attention, you know, we've seen it. We, we saw it happen with Rashawn Gary, you know, and he anchored Don Brown's defense. We saw teams double team him game plan around him and he didn't put up the stats, but it, all the coaches will tell you he did his job and he was a huge reason why the defenses were so successful. I think the same will be said for Quiddy pay this year but I don't think he's going to put up the eye popping stats. And so it wouldn't necessarily be a disappointment for like me or anything. If the defense is good, but I don't think he's going to put up the numbers and people are going to be like, Oh, what's wrong with Quiddy pay, blah, 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 you know, and it's not going to be through any fault of his own or anything that has to do with ability or anything like that. I just see him being such a focal point in the game plan for opposing teams that they're not going to allow him uh, to disrupt. You know, that's, that's a fair point. You know, a guy who's going to disrupt the games just as much, but maybe not put up uh, the kind of individual numbers. I yeah, it's completely possible. Yeah. yeah. So, and I wanted to say, it's not like I think he's going to have a bad year, right. think, you know? Um, all right. So those are, are, are most likely to disappoint, but we got a game Saturday, you know, we're going to see actual football, no more hypotheticals coming up seven 30, on Saturday night, I need a prediction from both of you. What's that game going to look like Saturday night? Chris, I'll start with you. Uh, this, I'm nervous about this one. I'm nervous about this one for uh, multiple reasons. I mean, you got to start off with the X factor. And what, people will be talking about it all year. I'll get it out of the way in game one. Um, we do not know what type of impact or lack of impact um, not having a crowd at these games is going to have. And we may never know. And even if Michigan wins this game, you're going to have those people who are going to be dropping the whole, well, you don't know how well they would have played with a capacity crowd. I, I'm, you got to throw that stuff to the side. Every team in the big 10 is going to be playing without a crowd this year. So it's not like any, any particular team is going to have an advantage over another. Um, I I'm really worried about this game because I think it could be a bit of carryover from last season where a more experienced last year's, Michigan secondary was experienced. You know, you had several guys who had been there for a few years and at, yet every time they went up against uh, an experienced quarterback and a team with a talented wide receiver core, uh, they got torched. And I worry with Tanner, Tanner Morgan returning from Minnesota, who was really great last year. I mean, basically broke every Minnesota school record there was in the book. I worry about Michigan falling behind early. I think PJ Fleck, from what I've noticed watching him, even all the way back at Western, is a coach who's really good at exploiting another team's weakness. And I think we're going to see them airing it out early and often in that game. Uh, one of the worst things that Michigan has done over the last couple of years is in big road games, they get behind early and they have to play catch up. I think we may have another situation like that here. 
I think they'll, it'll be a valiant effort. I think everyone will be, you know, doom and gloom after a loss, but I do think there will be positives. I think Milton may start off a bit shaky, but will ultimately play pretty well. I think the offense in general will be fine. I just think they'll fall behind early and it may be difficult for them to catch up. I'm going to go with 31 23 Minnesota in this ballgame. Anthony, how about you? Oh, well, I, I picked this as a loss uh, in the preseason rankings. Um, again, we don't know who is. And I mean, Michigan doesn't have any COVID guys right now, but who knows what could happen between now and Saturday. It's why Jim Harbaugh won't officially name a starting quarterback, at least this year, because he says anything could change with daily testing. But um, I'm going to stick with that for now, uh, that, that they will lose. Again, it's just one of those things where experience plus you know, lack of experience plus being on the road plus, you know, like you said, just breaking in so many new things against, you know, year three. I believe this is um, this is year three or year four for Fleck. This is year four uh, at Minnesota for PJ Fleck. Yeah, four. Yeah. And that's kind of where I believe that's where things really took off for him at Western. Um, I think that the pieces are in place for them to take off this year. Um, I do see this being a lot like the Notre Dame game a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, really similar set of circumstances. Uh, I think that Michigan will play better than that in this game. I don't think it'll be a thing where it's a one score game at the end, but it wasn't really that close, uh, but you, I will you don't think it'll be 20, nothing in the first quarter. No, I don't. I don't believe okay, that. Good. I, hope so. <laughs> um, I will go with Minnesota 28, Michigan 24. I actually think Anthony, it is going to mirror almost exactly uh, the 2018 Notre Dame game. Uh, I think Minnesota is going to get up early a a score or two. Uh, I don't know what it is. I'm guess I I have a feeling Minnesota. I don't know why I think it's going to play out this way. I think Minnesota takes a football and I think they go down and score on their opening drive. I think Michigan struggles for the first couple of series offensively. Michigan might give up another score there in the first quarter might be like 14, 10, nothing but I don't think Minnesota is nearly as talented as that Notre Dame team was in 2018. So I think, I think Michigan finds their footing and ultimately they are going to make a comeback. And I've got Michigan scoring late as they are down 23, 20 to win 27, 23 over the Gophers Saturday night. Someone's got to pick the dub. I I was going to say that was, that was was (laughs) can't be all doom and gloom here, boys. No, it's, Listen, I want I want to be wrong. I'm not going to sit right. here and be right. pissed if I'm, you know, if they go out and win oh, Saturday. Yeah. I, I think you might, you know, you you win the keep the jug, and then you come back next week and you keep Paul Bunyan at home. You it's might be a good chance, start to the year, man. You yeah. might have it's, a chance to get rolling. I mean, I, it, I do think the schedule sets up for that. Yeah, it's one of those things where you know it, it, we're going to be taking a lot more out of a single game this year than we have in previous years because, you know, you only play eight of them. But I really think to a lot of people, this is a really good litmus test. This is a real measuring stick for where this program believes they can be. And one of the issues with Michigan football, I feel like over the last several seasons is how predictable they've become in games against teams that were highly ranked in especially road games. I mean, all those games last year at Penn state, Ohio state, um, now early in the Wisconsin on the road, Bama, like we all collectively came into those games saying, well, I don't know, give it a shot. Like, and, and yet every single time they've come up short, it's not to say they haven't won a big game. So it's not to say, not to say they haven't beaten quality opponents, but these kind of games, the games where you really have the opportunity to make a statement as a program, 
they just haven't won. I think winning this to start off what has been for everyone already a really tumultuous year, I think would be a massive step in the right direction and at least temporarily would shut a lot of people up. No question about it. So given that there's only one thing left to talk about, what's the record prediction here this year? Chris, I'll start with you, man. Um, I think they lose three games. Now, again, we, we talked about this, I think a couple of years ago in 2018 expectations change throughout the season. You know, if they win this week, I'm probably going to change my tune a little bit. I think in the initial eight game stretch, I think they go six and two. My, my prediction off the top of my head is they lose to Minnesota in kind of a rusty, ugly game to begin the year. I think they win the next six. Uh, it'll be like a small microcosm of what 2018 was where you, you stumble against Notre Dame early on your role for a while. And then you get the Buckeye beat down at the end of the season. I don't know what the matchup would look like um, for that final game, that, that added on game at the end of the year. I just, maybe it's just their, their success in bowl games over the last I don't know, 15, 20 years. That makes me want to say they'd probably just lose that game. So I'll pencil in three losses uh, so far. I think anything above that, um, I think a lot of people would view as, if not a minor success, at least a a net neutral. Because really, is this, outside of year one, is it fair to say these are the lowest expectations that a Harbaugh team has probably had? Uh, I'd say so, yeah. Like, I don't I don't, what, what, what 20, were we saying about yeah? What were we saying about the 2017 team? I don't even remember. That, I, I just I, I, they they were I think they were ranked decently high that year. I think they didn't they start like 12 and then they beat the brakes off of Florida and got into the top 10 right away. They, they yeah, were, that was that was they, another they were, team you lost. Your I mean Donovan Peoples Jones, Nico Collins, Tariq Black is freshman. freshman. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I think that this team is probably better than that. Um, yeah, I, I agree. But yeah, since. I don't know. It's kind of going to be, this is going to be somewhere between the 2016 team or I'm sorry, the 2015 team and the 2018 team, I yeah. think. And I think that's pretty fair uh, to, to put them there. So uh, to go with what my prediction was uh, for the regular season, I have them at seven and two with losses at Minnesota and at Ohio state. And then uh, I actually went through and cause I'm a sicko. I predicted every game in the big 10 and I think in the standings, I had them up against Purdue in that crossover okay, game. Um, so, so I think that would be a win. So, uh, but I do think, depending on how this COVID thing works out with Jeff Brom at Purdue, I do think Purdue and Iowa could be a sleeper game this weekend for to determine who might who might be the, the team that's you know most in danger of toppling Minnesota in the West. So, look out for that. So for me, I have, I also have two losses though. I think they beat Minnesota. I think Michigan loses to Wisconsin. And then I think Michigan loses to Ohio state at the end of the year, but I do think they win that crossover game. I think they beat Iowa in the crossover game as a two verse two uh, in that last game of the year. But ultimately I think they just stumble against Wisconsin. It's just going to be one of those experience things. You know, we know what Wisconsin is. I know Michigan doesn't really lose to Wisconsin at home, at least under Jim Harbaugh, but uh, something about this year, and I actually think uh, Wisconsin goes uh, to Mertz at quarterback here this year. I know Jack Cohn, he was dealing with an injury or COVID or something like that. But yeah, it'll be Mertz. I think, yeah, I think Mertz is a is a crazy good talent, and uh, I think he's going to have a, a nice game against a weak Michigan secondary 
uh, in the big house there. So yeah. And then obviously uh, just that Ohio state team is dumb loaded. So, I mean, that one, you know, until we see it happen, I'm never going to pick Michigan to beat Ohio state. I learned my lesson uh, back Same in 2018. Here. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, and then I think Michigan, you know, they go to a decent bowl and uh, they have a season that they've had under Jim Harbaugh virtually every year he's been here. You know, let me, let me say this. I think that usually what's usually happened is that they lose to Ohio state and then they have to sit on that for a month and then go play a bowl game that they don't really give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, I, I like the crossover game thing because let's just say you lose to Ohio state and then you do play Purdue or Nebraska or something that next week at home, beat the brakes off one of those teams. And then you're heading into bowl season on kind of a high note, which um, you know, they only have that one bowl win under Jim Harbaugh uh, in 2015. And that kind of springboarded them into the next season. And to me, I know people are tired of the wait till next year stuff, but this is with paused eligibility and so many young guys in so many spots. I do think this is a wait till next year type of season. So um, whatever you could do to end this year on a high note, I think, and that crossover game helps. Uh, I think that's something to keep an eye on as well. It's almost here, boys. Saturday night, 730. Oh, man. Cannot wait. It's going to be the longest Saturday I've had in quite some time, probably since uh, the 2018 Notre Dame game. <laughs> that was that was a real long Saturday there. Uh, but we're almost there. Just got to push through the rest of the week, and uh, this this definitely helps. So as we wrap up, Chris, I'll let you uh, let the people know where they can find you on social media. Oh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2014. I haven't tweeted in a few days. Probably the longest streak I've had. In a long time. Um, but I'll be back this Saturday with uh, – I'll be doing a little post-game video after Michigan plays uh, Minnesota. So look forward to that. I have another podcast as well, Locked on Tigers. World Series coming up this week. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, not having to talk about the Tigers over the last couple of weeks and just recapping postseason games. You can find that show uh, wherever podcasts can be found, and you can follow that show on Twitter at Locked on Tigers. Also on my personal Twitter uh, you'll find the link to my YouTube page posted a movie review uh, a couple days ago for what is, in my opinion, the best movie of the year so far, the trial of the Chicago seven. So check that out, subscribe to that channel. Just uh, follow me on all those platforms. Anthony, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me in my living room crying about two minutes from now, because I had the bills money line tonight. Uh, but you can also find me. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. I can follow the website at Maze and Brew. Follow us on Twitch. Thanks to those of you guys who stuck around. Um, you know, Twitch TV slash Maze and Brew. We're almost at 100 followers. That'd be a pretty good milestone for this page. Uh, but yeah, anywhere you get your shows, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, we're there. We'll be there throughout the week. We've got a full podcast slate. We'll have a a post game show after the game on Saturday. Really excited. Uh, the content plan is is in place, and we're we're having fun with it already. So thanks for thanks for hanging out. And you can find me on Twitter at Luke Giardi, L U K E G H I A R D I. That'll do it for us here today. Subscribe, leave a review uh, for all our shows and content. Where you get your podcasts, all you got to do is search Mesa Brew Podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get them. 
you can find us. Thank you uh, to those that participated on Twitch and uh, check this out. Don't forget, if you're listening on the podcast, uh, we always do uh, a live taping of the show on Twitch. You can interact with us, chat with us, you know, ask us questions or just get into the conversation. Uh, we'd love to have you. So remember that uh, for next week as well. And the next time we do this, we're going to be talking about either a win or a loss for Michigan Wolverines football. I love it. I'm giddy. For my partners, Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani, I'm Luke Yardy. We'll see you next week on Brewcast.